Welcome to another edition of the In Search SEO Podcast, where we paint the town red with search marketing insights. So stoked for today's guest, the one, the only, Nava Hopkins is here to talk about the love between SEO and PPC, dispelling the myths about SEO and PPC as marketing opponents, how to create a unified approach to SEO and PPC, and how SEO and PPC work together uniquely in specific verticals. Plus, everything and more, everything on featured snippet deduplication. I am your host, Morty Oberson. I am joined by the astute, by the nice, Sapir Carabello. Hello. You see, you see what I did there? You see what I did? I did like a, a fancy word, and then I went with like a plain word. Okay. That was good, Thank right? You. No? How yeah, are you? That was amazing. Uh, I'm good. How are you? Eh. All right. <laughs> Why? What happened? The life. 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 Okay. Living. <laughs> That's sad. It's another day in paradise. Yes. Yes, it is sad. <laughs> Such a positive person. You are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's how it goes. Should we okay. keep... Harping on the harping on this point, or should we just kind of move on from it? No comment from the peanut gallery. <laughs> what? What? Who? Okay, do not forget we put out a new episode of the In Search SEO podcast each and every Tuesday. You can find it on the Rank Ranger blog. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it on Spotify, and of course, you can, should, and may subscribe on iTunes. Also, do not forget. Uh, feature snippets are the new organic number one. And with that, since Google's not replicating feature snippet URLs among the top organic results, we have updated, we as in Rank Ranger, have updated our reporting so that you can sort, separate, compare, analyze, evaluate, whatever data-related verb you want to use, your organic number one rankings from your featured snippet number one rankings. As feature snippets are the new position one, you can quickly sift through and pull out those number one rankings that are feature snippets and separate them out from traditional organic number one rankings and do all sorts of different things for all sorts of different purposes with the new number one ranking featured snippet paradigm. So head over to the Rank Ranger blog and see our posts about our new tools and reporting all about the new featured snippet deduplication and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was <laughs> profound, really. Yeah, it was. That was really <laughs> profound. And your tombstone will put it, yeah. 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 Okay. All right, folks, we've got a great show for you today. The wonderful Nava Hopkins is here for you. Um, but first, before we get into SEO versus PPC or SEO with PPC, um, we should probably talk about the featured snippet replication or url replication rather or lack thereof rather um as featured snippet deduplication is still what's hot in seo red hots get your red hots here i said last week that i would talk about um or go a little bit deeper into feature snippet duplication or deduplication that is such a tongue twister deduplication say that 10 times fast um and i said we talk about it more this week and i said that last week and I'm not a liar, so I'm just going to go mm-hmm. ahead and do that today. You know what? For the first time, I'm actually excited to hear what you have to say. 58 <laughs> episodes in. I think it's 58. Yeah, this is 58. <laughs> 58 episodes in, and this is the first time you're yeah. actually excited to hear what I have to say? 
Yeah. All right, I'll take it. Okay. Um, take it as a compliment. I'll, I'll, I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers. Here we go. Here's the plan. I'm going to outline a, um, a timeline of events, add some behind-the-scenes stuff and a bit of commentary, and that'll be that. Make sense? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Good enough. Good enough. Also <laughs> on your tombstone, Sapir Carabello. Good enough. Okay. So, as you all know, Google has decided not to show the URL that is used as part of a feature snippet within the top organic results. Um, this was announced on January 22nd and went into effect on January 22nd, something we'll talk about in a second, about the 22nd. That's a lot of second and ins. Okay. As was previous, in case you were living under a rock or you're new to SEO, um, both, uh, both excuses are acceptable. Google would, would duplicate the featured snippet URL within the organic results. So you had the featured snippet, the box up there, you have the URL on there, and then you have the URL again among the top organic results. We and Rank Ranger um, normally track that happening where it would Google pull Let me rephrase that. Normally we track Google pulling the URL from the second two and a half position meaning with either the second or the third position. But, of course, Google could pick any any ranking position on page one. And, yes, at times Google used to, before deduplication, would take the URL that was ranking number seven and put that into the feature snippet. So that has happened. Anyway, that's no longer happening, so who cares about that data anymore, right? So you can track all that data. How about that? You track all that data for all those years, and in a second, it's worthless. Anyway, um, with Google not ranking the URL among the page one organic results, um, the narrative perhaps changes a bit, and this is where my commentary comes in. So, okay, we used to think about it like this. Like, okay, so you have, let's say, a URL ranking number four on the on the SERP. And we say, okay, Google sees that the, all the URLs on the page, one through, let's say, ten, for argument's sake. And so, oh, it likes number four for the feature snippet, and it's going to use that. We sort of looked at it as if Google was taking the, features, uh, the, the URLs on the page, taking a look at them, and seeing which one of those was the best for feature snippets. Um, but since Google's not showing another URL on page one of the organic results or any page. We'll get to that in a second. You can't really say, well, Google's kind of looking at what's on the page and taking that and, and shoving to a feature snippet. Perhaps, perhaps that narrative, the way we've, we've thought about how Google does this, um, should change or has changed or will change. I don't know. Um, but perhaps it's a little bit more that like Google has its own independent feature snippet algorithm, which it does, and it really not so much tied to the to – the, um, to the URLs on page one per se. Anyway, I don't have enough information about that. I'm speculating, but that's that's my commentary so far. You get what I'm doing? I'm adding some speculations and commentary as we go along through this journey of the feature snippets stuff. Wonderful. Please go on. Wonderful. Also on your tombstone, wonderful. Good enough, <laughs> but wonderful. Good enough, okay. wonderful. Wonderful, right. yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now... Google takes away the, the second URL from the page one results, and everyone sort of freaks out. And everyone sort of freaks out because everyone's seeing that second URL that was on page one show up on page two at the very top of page two. So January 22nd rolls around, Google makes this change, and everyone starts seeing that URL that was on page one now show on page two at the very, very top of the organic results, which would imply that... Which would imply oh, I, that. I'm sorry. Are you like waiting for me to do drum roll or something? Wonderful. Wonderful. Please but in this case, get to the point. Good enough. Good enough. Get to the it, point. It brings it brings up the the point 
that yeah. it seemed like if Google's taking every single feature snippet URL that was on, when it was ranking organically on page one and now automatically placing it at the very top of page two, this seems almost like some sort of manual manipulation, which is horrible. Like, say it ain't so. Say it ain't so. And it's not so. Google, of course, deny this. Google, of course, is not doing this. Um, but, of course, Google did a horrible job, in my opinion, um, yeah. in this denial, in its whole announcement. And I'm not blaming Danny Sullivan on this one. I don't think it's him. I think he did a wonderful job. Danny Sullivan, I think, did a wonderful job sort of calming everybody the F down. Like, this whole thing happened. Everyone kind of went crazy. And Danny was very good on Twitter. But, like, just sort of just calm the F down. <laughs> and he was great. The problem was not Danny after the fact. The problem was Google before the fact. If you're going to change something like this, which is going to impact people's ranking reports, it's going to impact, which, which could impact someone's bottom line, right? If all of a sudden you don't see your ranking number one anymore or number two anymore, that URL got pushed off the page to you know position 500, that can make your reports look bad and you can make it look bad to a client and so forth. Okay, we'll talk about that later, how to, how to deal with that. If for something like this, as opposed to saying, hey, everybody, this is what we're doing. When? Now. I think Google should have said next week or as of April 5th or as of July 22nd or as of, you know, March 45th. That's not a real date. There is no 45th of the month. Um, we're going to be taking that URL that showed up in the future snippets. And when it shows up organically, we're going to deduplicate it. And everybody could freak out, and everyone could get ready for it, and everyone could get used to it, and all the reporting tools can change beforehand. And it'd be great. Everybody will be wonderful and not so upset, but still kind of upset. Wonderful. So, wonderful. But Google didn't do that. They sort of rolled it out. They have all these, and, and as Google's rolling things out, one of the things that happened was it automatically starting to show the sec that second URL or the organic URL, we'll call it, which is a bad way to phrase it. You'll see why. Um, on the top of page two. Now, some freak, who oh, shall rename yeah. nameless, decided <laughs> right. a few days after seeing this, let me go back, or not me, I'm sorry, some freak, said, let's go back and take a look. What happened to those URLs that were showing up on, on the top of page two automatically? Are they still there? And guess what? Mm -hmm. What? That freak is me. No way. Yep. I'm so shocked. Yep. Yeah. Also, what, guess what? Isn't, wait, isn't, isn't freak, freak your middle name? No, Jacob is. That's, oh, okay. a, that's a stupid question. No. Okay. Any 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 okay. other any other kind of insults you want to throw my way? Just saying. Wonderful. Superior Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Um. I don't know what I was gonna say now. Wow. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Um. Oh. I was gonna, okay. Yeah. I went back. You being the freak. Yeah. 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 I'm a freak. Um. <laughs> went back. I yeah. went back and I looked, and the URL was not on page two. There's the, the second featured snippet URL, the duplicated URL, was not the top of the results on page two. Um, it was on page three. It was on page four. It was on page five. And I'm like, hey, dev guys, can we run this and see what happens? Um, looking at our massive data set at Rank Ranger, we have a massive data set. Mm -hmm. And it came back that they're all gone. As of the 29th, when we looked at this, they were gone. Yeah. Oh, wow. This, wow. The duplicated URL was not on page two. It was not on page three. It was not on page four. It was not on page five. It was not on page six. I can keep counting. 
we did stop at 200, like the 200 results. So maybe they're ranking 201, which if they are, that's just stupid. Um, but they're not. They were just, come on. So Google actually deduplicated the URL. It is gone. It is not on page two. It is not on page three. The reason why I think you were seeing that second URL show up at the top of the page two results was because it's just part of the rollout. It's just part of the change that Google was making, part of the plan, part of the process, and so forth. And that would have been helpful if Google pre-announced that we're going to make this change, we're going to do this, there might be some glitches along the way, we'll let you know when we're completely done with this. So again, Google needs to do a better job, I think, communicating in advance something it is doing with its core algorithm updates. Okay, on to explore panels. You're like, what's an explore panel? Um, as I said in my search engine land video about this, which you had a search engine land, you can check that out. Um, little plug for me, little plug for search engine land, it's good for everybody. There are these things called um, explore panels, and it's like a, a feature snippet and a knowledge panel got married, had a baby, and produced an explore panel because it's half feature snippet, half knowledge panel. And if you go to the video on search engine, you can see what it looks like. I show it to you. But um, now these show up on the right hand side of the page. Um, which is problematic if Google deduplicates the URL in the main results column because the only time you'll see the URL in that case is at the right-hand side of the page, not in the main column. And, of course, everyone's CTR plummeted. By the way, click, click, quick point of order. Um, from what I have seen, and this is a very limited data sample, just some of my own, my own things that I track, CTR for featured snippets has not gone down for the for that keyword right for that url rather lose my mind mm -hmm. ctr for whatever page is in that featured snippet url has not gone down with the absence of the second organic result or the second url showing a at least not in any significant way that i have seen very very limited data on that just that's just my own personal stuff that i'm looking at so take that with a grain of salt anyway CTR for those pages that were being shown in the right-hand side feature snippet did start to plumb because it's the only time you see it's way on the right-hand side of the page. And people started to complain, right? right? Because CTR was diving faster than the Kamikaze and Pearl Harbor Day. That was terrible. Wow. Okay. Um, so people were complaining, and we're complaining more, and then we're complaining some more. And Google said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take that knowledge panel feature snippet hybrid thingy we call it the explore panel because that's what google calls it in the html we're going to move it to the middle to the main column of organic results and that will solve your ctr problem and that just shows you that when life is hard and things are not going right um yeah. the best thing you can possibly do is go on social media and complain and be miserable and be horrible about it and then it will change that's the lesson I took away from this. What a wonderful life lesson. Yes. Thank you, Morty. Life lesson yeah. number 423 by Morty Oberstein. Complain, oh complain, and complain. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. By the way, good job, Google, addressing that need and making a quick change. That is a good job for Google. We're, we're right, balanced right. here. We're balanced here. Right. Um, <clears throat> that said, <laughs> the... The feature snippet, right-hand side feature snippet has not moved over as of yet. And by the way, when it does, that might cause some issues if you're ranking number eight, nine, or ten on the page because you'll probably get pushed off because it's a big, right. it's a big, uh, it's a big box that'll push off results. Uh, but in, yes, instead, <laughs> what Google did is they re, 
reinserted the duplicate URL. So for right-hand side feature snippets, the Explore panel, as of the recording of this podcast, Google has replicated the URL again. So users will now see, I love we call them users, people. Users are my family because they're manipulative and they're users. People, people are going through the search results will now see the URL again in the main column and again the right-hand side of the page in that feature snippet. So now your CTR should be fine. So that's solved. Until, I mean, I don't know what Google will do. Maybe they will stick to their guns and they'll, they will eventually move that explore panel to the main results, the main column, or maybe they'll keep it on the right-hand side of the page and, and just deal with the replicated URL as it is now. We'll see what Google does, what Google says, and, and so forth. Great. Right. Last thing I want to talk about, and that is rank tracking because we're a rank tracking tool. Did you know that Rank, rank, rank Ranger tracks rank among many, many other things? Many other things. We are not simply a ring tracker. Anyway, one of the issues that comes up is, and I'm rambling on, I'm, i got to wrap this up really quickly because we're taking too much time. One of the things that comes up now is that feature snippets are now the number one organic ranking result URL, whatever you want to call it, on the page. It's not a separate entity cert feature Position zero box. Position zero is gone. Stop using that term. It is now position one. Google has said so. We at Rank Ranger have said so. We took a survey from people and everyone, well, not everyone, at 93%, I think, said, yes, they are now organic one. Right. So now when you score a featured snippet, all your ranking reports are going to say one. Right. Which is a problem because when you don't get a featured snippet and you're ranking organically as a number one um, result on the page, your ranking reports will also say one and a one as a feature snippet and a one as your standard organic result title description url are not the same thing right. ctr is going to be higher for your featured snippets so you need to be careful about your ranking reports make sure you're able to identify and separate and so forth so you know which number one rankings are your feature snippets and which number one rankings are your traditional regular plain old stripped down organic results uh, and so forth like I mentioned earlier in the, in the plug we did for Rank Ranger, we now give you the ability to do that in many different ways. So that's where I'm going to end this. We'll see what happens with the, the Explore panel going into the main column. We'll stay in the right-hand side of results. Um, and, and that's pretty much it. Google did indicate that maybe we'll give you some more data on feature snippets in Search Console and so forth. So that'd be great if they did. And that's that. Time to move on. Yep. Yep. Okay, that's time to get into SEO versus PPC to mortal enemies that can never live together. Oh, wait, they can. Here's Nava Hopkins. Cut one. Welcome to another In Search SEO podcast interview session. Today, for your listening pleasure, we have a self-described SEO, SEM philosopher, an industry speaker, search engine journal author, a big welcome to a former word streamer, and now Hennessy Digital's director of paid strategy, Nava Hopkins. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's a delight to talk about a, a topic near and dear to my heart, uh, SEO and PPC winning together and empowering each other rather than infighting like dogs and cats. Because we're we're better <laughs> than that. We're we're we're, so we're, more we're interesting in an era of, of integration. Okay, fine. No more fighting. But okay. By the way, first off, you're from Boston, right? Uh, I've lived in Boston, so I've actually lived in Florida. I've lived in Connecticut. Oh. Boston. I now currently actually live in Rhode Island. Oh, really? Uh, so I, love Rhode Island. I went to my honeymoon I, in Rhode Island, but the Newport. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's it's pretty, but it's it's very much pockets of gentrification versus, eh. 
<laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> so if I said like the Patriots suck, it wouldn't bother you? No, because okay. I don't care about sports. Nice. Okay, I, I'm just, I, I care that people are happy. That's really cool. And you can root for whoever you want to. Oh, that's really nice. As a sports fan, I don't understand that, but I, I do appreciate that. I didn't want to talk about sports. What I did want to talk to you about, though, was um, you used to run a nonprofit education program. And as a former Teach for America alumni, that really interested me. Can you just speak about that for like a quick second? Totally. Um, Angel Ed uh, was, instead of me going to get a master's, I started a nonprofit and learned all of the things of what could have gone better, um, but actually also what not to do. Um, so what was really interesting about Angel Ed, the mission is something I'm very passionate about, connecting students to mentors and scholarships that education is as debt-free and employable as possible. But I made some really key mistakes um, in the early days, specifically, um, I did not build the right team to support the initiative. A lot of it ended up just being on me. Um, and that wasn't a reasonable, scalable way to grow. I also made the worst mistake any nonprofit can ever make. Um, and if any nonprofits are out there listening, I, I really encourage you to, to take this to heart. Starting off as a nonprofit, unless you have big, big pockets to wade through the, the 501c3 process, to wade through um, the fact that you cannot make money in those initial days um, is really going to be tough. So we actually started off as a C-Corp to turn into a 501c3. And, or rather, no, we, uh, it's the reverse. We started off as a 501c3. So we couldn't earn while we were waiting for that 501c3 certification. So it's, I look at it as I learned how not to, to run business <laughs> by trying to do something good. Um, but what was also really interesting is that while I was doing that nonprofit, I was also doing a lot of freelance PPC work. Uh, so while... I was running this business. I was also freelancing and I could not focus um, nearly as much uh, on, on, on that business. However, it also created um, in, in today's world and in, in my current role as, as kind of an empowering force in PPC, uh, relationships with professors. So it, it really informs a lot of the work that I do in, in working with schools and trying to make uh, people see PPC and to be fair, SEO as well as an employable <laughs> skill. Uh, that you actually don't necessarily need to go to college to learn. Um, this is just something that you can just teach yourself. This is something that you can really, as a trade, grow your business. Um, and so as much as it was lessons in failure and failure turning in, into opportunities, um, I'm, I'm truly, truly grateful for all the things that I learned, all the people that I met, and then the, the ability to then go back and continue to give back in my role today um, to, to the next generation of hope hopefully the next generation of practitioners. That's amazing, by the way. First, as, as a former teacher, we very much appreciate that kind of stuff because there's, generally speaking, unless you're working at a really good school, very, very limited resources, um, very limited yeah. help from the outside world. So those things are, are amazingly huge. So kudos to you. It's awesome. Um, second, I don't think there's any, I can't think of anybody who's coming to SEO or, or PPC from like a, 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 you know, a straight segue into the industry. It's always like, I did this, I was doing that at the same time, and then I kind of got into this, and, and here we are now, which is kind of cool. I kind of like that. It's like very diverse. Well, we're, it's, it's a really good kind of assist amplifier trait. Um, no one really thinks about um, the mechanics of, of how you get digital marketing. You just digital marketing, branding, <laughs> branding studies, and like ads, and 
content and blogs, it's important to take that step back and think about the technical nuts and bolts of how we get there um, and, and to celebrate the people and to empower people to consider that path um, to be the ones really empowering the creatives forward. Um, that said, I think one of the things that, that we really are going to see going into 2020 and beyond is more of a focus on the technical folks having to adopt more of a business acumen, more of a creative streak. Um, but really, we, we're not going to have practitioners if we don't expose folks to the opportunity. It's kind of like just in general trade. Um, a lot of people just default go to school without a vision of what they want. And it's really depressing because then you saddle someone with debt and so they're still indecisive and now they have this burden of, oh my God, how am I gonna pay this off? Um, that's, that's why I, I actually uh, started uh, Angel Ed. Uh, it's, it's actually, uh, my husband has had that problem of he had a ton of debt and granted he's gainfully employed, worked at Harvard, like amazing things. Um, however, that student loan problem is, is a problem. And so I, I think, if we as a community can commit to doing well by doing good, um, we all will benefit. And, and so as much as folks are willing to give back and to mentor, it's all good things. Awesome. Which is part of this podcast is that it's teaching about SEO and in this case PPC. So awesome. Okay. So let's get into this a little bit. Um, we're talking about myths and, and, and um, how SEO and PPC sort of do merge and melt together, but there is a common fallacy out there or a common uh, talking point. The SEO is totally separate from PPC, and there's all these myths and, and, and whatnot around the topic. Can you maybe just, for the listeners who are sort of new to this um, problem, sort of outline what are some of the common myths and falsehoods that we hear about SEO and PPC together? So my, my favorite myth is that PPC is what you do when you need results fast and you just want to throw what I like to call dumb money at the problem. <laughs> Um, and that SEO is a long-term strategy, growth, 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 growth. The truth is both SEO and PPC will do nothing for you if you do not have a really honest sense of how much do you make per customer? How many new customers can you support? Um, what are the operational supports in place um, to, to really grow and scale? And so PPC without guidance and data insights into how the business can grow and scale is going to be just dumb money. Um, SEO, without a focus of why we're doing what we're doing, what pages we're focusing on, is going to also be just dumb effort. So one of the big myths I think we, we all should kind of just dispel is that PPC is the easy button that you press a button, throw money, and, and profit happens. Um, both actually do have learning periods. Both do have um, testing, that kind of uh, assessment period. The other myth that I, I get very like testy about um, <laughs> is that PPCs are after all of the budget. We're actually not. Um, there's, there's two kinds of budgets. There's the budget that you invest in placements, and there's the budget that you invest in resource and development. Um, and PPCs at the end of the day are not going to encourage a client to pursue a particular channel if it's not going to be profitable for them. So for example, um, if you know that you do not have at least $750 per month in ad spend, you likely are not going to make Google search a first touch. Um, you're likely going to explore a display play. You're likely going to explore a video play. You might explore a Facebook or Instagram play. Um, if you have hundreds of thousands of dollars each month or a million plus per spend each month, you still are going to have that same critical approach 
it's just you now have larger budgets, you maybe are, are scaling to more products. So for example, um, when we think about uh, e-commerce versus local versus any of, of the different verticals, um, the budgets that will resonate with each channel, like you wanna think about what channel will do the job they needed to do. Um, and I think one of the myths is that PPC is just, it's the paid channel, as opposed to what it really is, where you have Google search, who's the salesperson, their job is to take the order. You have Facebook, Instagram, who are like community managers, they can sometimes be um, impulse enablers. Um, you have video um, and display that can be educational, um, brand awareness, dispelling in, uh, uh, myths, um, and they all work together. And if you don't work together from a paid perspective, um, and, and really leverage the channels as they're, they're meant to be leveraged, it's just a money. It's just you throwing dollars at, at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, just like with SEO, like you can optimize to be the first position for a particular query, but if that query has zero value for you in your business, we don't care. Um, if you have, or if you institute pagination that, does not actually put your best products at the front, we're all gonna be really, really sad. So it's, it's really about taking a step back and not just acting because you feel like you have to. Um, and both PPC and SEO, I feel like, get put into that bucket of like, we have to do it, so we're just doing it. Take that step back, audit why you're doing what you're doing, audit why you're leveraging the channel that you're leveraging, and, and then move forward. It's funny thing because like big PPC, like, Okay, so you see the money going out. It's very like clear. Like, I, I, there's my budget. Here's what we spent. Here's what it is. Oh my gosh, I'm spending so much money. But SEO is not cheap either. It's particularly on the not. content side. Like, creating content is very expensive. You're not going to find someone to write a blog post for you for ten dollars. It's going to cost you like I don't know, at least a well, hundred. You might, but it well, won't be good. <laughs> right. We're not talking about like crap. Like black hat SEO yeah. and that. That's something totally different. Black hat SEO and this idea of winning. Um, with with uh, PPC really quickly, those sort of fall into the same bucket for me. They don't make any sense. But if you're going to do SEO long term, you, if you want to do content generation, you want to have an authoritative site, which is super important from the, SEO, from the SEO perspective these days, it's content. And content is very expensive. Content is way more expensive than a PPC yet. So what's interesting is um, the mechanics of why PPC uh, can be expensive or not expensive comes down to two things. One is how you structure out your account. Uh, so I, I like to put it to clients where there's either a volume play where you know by the nature of your business, your conversion rates or your being able to get a, a profitable action to take place are so low that you have to hit the volume button. You're willing to eat an elevated cost for acquisition or how much it costs to acquire a customer. You're willing to eat the amount of time it takes to do negative work to, to block the, those bad queries. Um, because you know you need the volume and that you're held accountable for metrics around volume. There's another side to it of what I like to call the value play, where you're okay getting less volume because you know your conversion rates are that much better. You know that you're okay getting less leads because those leads are worth so much money and your conversion path, whether it's the, your site or your sales team, is just so on point. We're, we're fine going away from the volume place. So a lot of the reasons why you'll find that paid is expensive is not actually because it's expensive. It's because you've set yourself up to do volume, but you were trying to do value or because of the mechanics of match types or 
how keywords function now, or you are in a particular market that's really expensive, um, you've targeted, you, you've opted into auction prices that will make it an expensive proposition for you to get volume. The other thing that's really important, um, and this is just a metric that's, that's a paid metric that I, I, would, I, I would encourage all SEOs to kind of ask their paid teams about, um, is a metric called impression share. What impression share is, is of all available impressions, how many impressions are we actually getting? And you can lose impression share either due to budget or rank. And what's really interesting is that across the US and to be fair Canada as well, the average impression share is about 47.8%, but the majority of advertisers, and this is based off of uh, WordStream data, um, the majority of advertisers are not actually losing it due to budget, they're losing it to rank. So structural issues are causing us to miss out on these opportunities. And what's like wasted spend only happens if we haven't set ourselves up to get enough leads in our day to achieve profit. So if our impression share isn't, we'll say 75% or better, there's odds are we could be doing better. Um, if we can't fit at least 10 clicks in our day, um, a 10% conversion rate on a non-branded uh, uh, Google search campaign is actually really, really good. Um, so if we can't get at least 10 clicks in our day, we're not gonna necessarily see value because we can't by the numbers get enough leads to yield a customer. Um, so it's, it's just like those little metrics that are ratios um, that, that I find are really helpful. This is, um, are you a gamer at all? Like, do you play board games? Board games or like video games? But either. Okay. Board Ideally games, board games, but. Sort of, kind of. Yes. I have, I have four children, so yes. We play board so games. So one of the things I actually like to do um, with anyone new to the industry is that I actually will have them play a bunch of board games <laughs> to get their minds in the state that they can process what it is to work in a, in a paid account. And, and, I, and to be fair, uh, I actually, I just heard um, Mika give a great talk uh, at, at Tech SEO Boost when he made the same analogy for SEO. And so okay. must be true. Like all of us digital marketing actually board games. Um, but the reason work? why, so, so the reason why um, board games, there's a set of core rules but the basic mechanics and like the paths to victory adapt based off of each board game. So your ability to balance from channel to channel, your ability to leverage the resources that you have and allocate them where they'll do the most good. Board games, particularly worker placement games, um, are actually a very powerful path to get your mind trained, to think about how paid and even in some cases organic works. Um, so cool. shout out to, to, <laughs> to playing board games to get yourself in the spot where, where you can manage counts. So does Guess Who count as a as a board game to do this? It actually does. That's okay. a it's a good audience. It's it's audience segmentation. <laughs> what you're doing is is you're excluding um, personas that don't quite fit uh, the fit like what what you're looking to do. So for example, it's actually really funny. I use Guess Who like the picture of Guess Who like the board whenever I'm talking about audience segmentation. So like <laughs> it's absolutely fits. That's awesome. Um, so for example, if I ask the question of is your person, uh, does your person have white hair? Um, and I then find out, no, they don't. I can then exclude people with white hair and in paid, regardless of whether it's Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, whatever, just, just like you can target audiences that you care about and that you wanna put your messaging towards, you also can exclude folks that don't quite fit. So for example, if you're in real estate, there's a very big difference in intent and in auction prices and in value between commercial and residential. 
someone who does commercial deals will want nothing to do with residential. And someone who does residential is not going to want to get dragged into the auction prices of commercial. So you can actually exclude those folks based off of actual audiences that Google is kind enough to give us. Um, there's something called in-market audiences. So it's funny because like when it comes to SEO, we're, we talk about targeting, but we do a very terrible job at it. Right, we'll we'll still we'll still go for that high volume um, keyword and it doesn't really fit into exactly what we're doing. But I and I feel like we're 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 sort of getting closer together on this maybe. Whereas now, since since the advent of of Google getting much more holistic with how it analyzes websites, where if you're gonna write hashtag about Bert. Hashtag, hashtag Bird, hashtag um, neural matching, hashtag everything, hashtag all machine learning properties are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bert by the way because it's Sesame Street. Anyway, um. What's funny is that now you have to start start thinking about, okay, so what am I going to write on my site? What's the identity of my site? And if I'm going to write about something that doesn't align to what my identity is, how is Google going to interpret that? Which in, in turn forces you to target a certain audience because you're going to write about a certain topic. You're going to target a certain demographic. You're going to target a certain type of, of, of reader or, 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 or purchaser because you're going to stick to your sort of core. But what, what's, what's amazing to me is that do you think because of the way machine learning is now on the SEO side – that we're starting to get a, maybe just a little bit more into a general marketing mindset, which aligns way more to PPC. Well, yes, but part of the part of the the reason that we're we're on that path uh, is because there, at the end of the day, it is not profitable as to be everything to everyone. We have to kind of choose who our people are going to be and serve them really, really well, um, as opposed to trying to be generalists. Um, so dumb money happens. Like I'm going to throw eBay under the bus eBay is my favorite, favorite um, advertiser I'll see doing dumb money because they'll show up in, query, in, in, in queries and SERPs that have zero value for them to be there. They're just throwing money at the wall. Um, and the thing is, because they're doing that volume plan because they have the budget to do it, there, there is some value prop there. But when you're not eBay and you don't have the budgets for that, whether it's for paid or organic, you really do have to be mindful of who are your best people. Where, where are they? What are their interests? What will motivate them? How will you cultivate their desire? Um, and the thing is, the targeting that is available on paid, uh, I was actually having this, this conversation with a, with a couple of folks at, at Tech SEO booth. So um, it was really interesting for me to, to kind of hear that the things that those of us on paid have been kind of focusing on for the past couple of years was like audience segmentation, message mapping, um, moving away from direct keyword to add to landing page relevancy and more around intent and more around um, how do we really speak to the pain points of our, of our customers. Like those ideas are, are very much being parroted at tech SEO conferences, right, yeah. which I found mind-blowing. Um, and in terms of how we come together, it's really about sharing what are the, the pockets of our customers that are best served by paid and what are the pockets of our customers that are best served by organic? There are absolutely transactional terms that do not happen nearly enough for paid to actively target. It is, makes zero sense to deprive our organic counterparts of those intels saying like, this query, this like 15 word query, converted, great customer. I cannot actively target it because Google will never ever give it enough room because low search volume terms tend to not get as much um, budget why don't you write a post about it or why don't we consider reworking 
the way we, we have our description to honor the fact that this was like a super valuable customer or if like there's a, a statistically significant sample size of themes in those low search volume queries that you can then give to your organic team. Because you want, you want to be respectful of the fact that Google doesn't even necessarily treat um, all queries the same across device. So like research-oriented queries where there is no ad at the top um, can sometimes be full of ads on mobile devices, um, whereas desktop, it's, it's more research-oriented. There are times where it's a super transactional query across everything. Um, and when I say transactional, that means it's at least three ads or the full four pack up at the top. Um, if it's an e-commerce query, you have the shopping ads. Um, and if it's a local uh, query, you likely have local um, service ads plus text ads, plus right. the little ads, uh, local search ads in, in, in the map pack, um, which you had a question that you yeah. sent to me ahead of time about like- Local um, and commerce. If they have lo lo local. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, the, the biggest place for synergy, and this is the check the, the checkbox that every business has to make sure that they check, um, is claiming their local listings and really taking advantage of all the resources within Google My Business. Um, and then I think it's also uh, Microsoft Business Profile, I think is what their, their equivalent is. Um, because you actually can have ad spots that get just you just get um, based off of that Google My Business being attached. Um, and you get that many more um, user insights. So in, in Google, we have, or in paid, um, we have segments of user interactions. Um, and it can be really interesting to see the interactions of what groups of people, what audiences lead to uh, driving directions, like someone who like wanted to come visit us versus someone who engaged with a site link uh, because that happened to be a, a, a more interesting um, idea for them. So yeah, um, Google My Business, uh, the location extensions, uh, really making sure that you've claimed that local presence. It's such a crucial step for organic, but it's also a really crucial step for paid. Yeah, there's so many, um, I'll say weird, but interesting places where, where ads show up locally. I mean, there's there's ads now in local packs way more often. There's There's been ads in, lo in local knowledge panels for competitors' yeah. businesses. I mean, obviously, and, and in maps also, there's always been um, local ads in there. So there's like this sort of like, um, it's a very SEO sort of space. A local pack is very much an SEO space, but paid sort of makes its way, creeps its way in there within the local arena. So what's interesting is I've seen local packs where there's a paid spot and, the, and an organic spot um, in, the, in the local pack, but then you have boring, horrible text ads <laughs> for the um, the actual text ads for the same business. And what I worry about is that people are just kind of hitting default buttons and just checking boxes as opposed to being mindful. So I, uh, you, you, I'm kind of like spoiling your questions. That's okay. You. No, um, no, that's fine. A, totally fine. Uh, you sent it like a really good question about like <laughs> what is happening with, like I, I love the question because it's, 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 it's a good one of the ad ads now look more organic what's up oh right I, i'm particularly on mobile and now that they're, they've been spotted on desktop a million times overall so actually yesterday i mean, yesterday like the day of the recording not when this gets released glenn gabe found one on on um in a local pack that was the, the colorless ad label so it looks very very much organic looking so what's what's interesting is the ads people have control in ads 
exact control over headline one, headline two. Headline three doesn't always show. It's more of a desktop uh, spot. And what's interesting is I've actually seen SERPs where the same business had super compelling, amazing creative in their ad and their organic titles were gross. Like it just, it was like redundancy, 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 redundancy. I'm like, this is silly. Like it, you're seeing that you're, you're putting all this effort into your headlines where you're going to pay for the engagement, but you're not making sure that your organic listing is just as compelling. And this is like one of those opportunities where instead of fighting with each other and saying, paid, why are you stealing my budget? Hey, paid, you're getting very clear data on what messaging is working. Can you share that with us? Um, and vice versa. Like if you happen to see organically that like certain messaging is really crucial, there's zero reason for us to go in blind on a test if we have those insights that, that it's working. The other thing to be mindful of is that uh, when you're looking at an ad, um, you have it, the the paths uh, or the, yeah, so you have the URL paths, um, you have your headlines, you have your descriptions. Um, there used to be this thing where like you had to title case every letter um, when with expanded text ads that, that went away. Um, and what I actually advise a lot of clients to do is to make the paths lowercase to, to kind of mirror organic listings. Um, but when it comes but when it comes to um, headlines and when it comes to descriptions, that's where like there is no rule. So in terms of ads mirroring organic, sure, they, they, they do on search. Um, and sure, they kind of do on other channels as well, when it, whether it comes to um, Facebook posts or, or Facebook spots, whether it comes to um, like a YouTube video ad versus like YouTube content. Like we can talk about whether you should invest in, in making like in exciting, engaging, creative or not. Um, but in terms of the actual content, um, that, that's where there's an opportunity to collaborate. And instead of being like, oh my God, paid, why did you take my spot? Paid, what, what worked there? Which is like, content is the, the natural unifier. For example, a landing page. It's a, it could be a unique landing page. You have unindexed that just goes to the ad and it's not really part of your site. You know, these hidden pages. Okay, fine. But more often than not, you can use the same landing page for whatever product or feature you're talking about for organic search and you can tie it to an ad. And you both have – I'm, I'm assuming that what's a quality landing page organically is going to be a quality page – it depends. Okay. Like this is one of those it depends moments. Oh, I like there, those there. moments. So many it depends moments. It's good to see that the um, search marketing folks at the paid side also have it depends answers. And it's not oh, just we us. we have so many of them. Good. Um, Thank God. We're we're no no one ever anyone who claims to know everything um, and is black and white in their answers is trying to sell you something. Snake oil. Um, but when it when it comes to uh, landing pages, I actually prefer having dedicated landing pages um, on either a subdomain, um, ideally a subdomain, not a microsite. Um, and the reason for it is very simple. Google has a rule that you cannot have more than one domain uh, in the same ad group and you cannot have redirects. And so organically, you may intelligently make a move to redirect a domain um, and to really have that power be there but if you're not talking with your paid team and letting them know, you could actually kill all of their volume because redirects happened. 
Um, Good to know. The other thing to think about is that when you have, and this is actually a great tip from Jory Ford over at GG Crowd, um, quality score is part of how you get good ad rank. Um, a quality score of five or greater, you get a discount. Quality score of four or lower, you pay a premium. Um, and quality scores mechanics are historical click theory, which is based off of your competitors, your keyword to add to landing page relevancy, and the landing page experience. And one of the worst ways that landing page experience gets hit is because the ad bot crawler gets blocked by the organic team. So there's zero reason for the paid team to get in the way of the organic team and force what they need on organic. Instead, share content-wise, but it actually can be super valuable to have those dedicated landing pages because we're far more focused on getting the user to act because we paid to get them there as opposed to reading. So for example, walls of text, we hate them. Um, we want big, bold contact nice. numbers. We want form fills above the fold. Um, maybe there's a video, maybe there isn't. Um, but like, if you're going to have navigation, like that's an it depends answer. Some some folks do great with navigation, some folks don't. Um, but I, I actually really do prefer keeping dedicated landing pages o over um, having landing pages for organic because it's if you try to boost your organic rankings just by like driving a whole bunch of traffic, like sure you might get some some gains, but ultimately it's not sustainable because like you're it's it's artificially inflating it as opposed to truly building a useful experience that Google will then continually reward you for. So that's sort of my problem with all of this is that, okay, I understand that there's a there's a lot of room for synergy between SEO and PPC abstractly as concepts or as practices. But actually implementing this with two different teams, or even even if if it's one team, you give your a small, you know, in-house boutique for whatever it is, and you're trying to do both. How is it possible? There's just so many things on the PPC side that I I don't know. I have a I have a I have a cheat button a cheat for button. all for all of you. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a cheat button. Um, dynamic search ads. Okay. Are one of the easiest ways for folks organically to kind of get a sense. Of, of paid and to add paid onto their offering without having to necessarily know a bunch. There's a bunch of great resources out there. I, I can send you some to go out with this post. Um, but the basic premise of, of dynamic search ads or DSA is that Google will crawl your site and serve up the landing page that best matches the user's query. You do not write the headlines, you write the description. Um, and you can exclude pages like the blog, the homepage um, that you don't want to actually pay to send people to. Um, you can make sure or you can kind of proof uh, what the landing page might be, what the queries might be. And the value of that is that you can then off of data that like you're, you're basically paying for data to see uh, what queries are, are worth actually targeting, what your people cost, how they search, um, and then know what to build from there. The one downside of DSA, and this is just a really unfortunate thing, once a campaign is made DSA, you, it's a DSA campaign forever. DSA campaigns are also eligible to take traffic from keyword or from campaigns where you're actually bidding on keywords. So if you're going to run DSA, you want to make sure that you uh, make all of your active keywords a negative in the DSA campaign, particularly your branded terms or any major competitor terms that you might have campaigns running for, as well as again all all the, the keywords that you're targeting, and again making sure that you're excluding homepage. Um, about us pages, blog pages, 
anything that's not actually part of the path to conversion. And the bidding itself then? Or the, uh, the, so the budget? Uh, and so budgets and bidding, um, you can forecast it. Um, you can kind of do some test budgets. Um, there's a bunch of resources out there to help you kind of figure it out. One thing worth bearing in mind uh, with DSA, if you're going to do DSA and you don't necessarily trust your conversions or you're not quite sure, I actually like doing DSA on a maximized click bid strategy with a bid cap that is 10% of what I set as a daily budget. So say I set a daily budget at 50 bucks a day, I would want no click in there that would exceed $5. Got it. And Google, um, for budget purposes, here's now me getting really into the nitty gritty. Um, Google will average out your uh, daily spend budget across 30.4 days. So in order to do that, it can up to double your spend in a given day to average out across 30.4. So a very common mistake that people will make is they'll set a budget of like, I'm fine spending $4,000 a day. And then they cry when Google spends $8,000 in the day um, because that, that's, that's what you told Google that you were fine doing. I remember that being a problem when it came out. Is it it's still a major issue? Uh, it's not really a major issue for people that take the time to audit the keywords and their auction prices and, and truly what they are if they're going to do automated bidding and who are honest with themselves about what they're sending as their daily budget. Um, a very common mistake people will make is that they'll adjust bids without adjusting budget and then complain when they're still spending a bunch and they don't understand why. Um, vice versa, if you set a budget of say $5 and your keywords are $3, I'm not expecting anything to happen because at most it can fit one click in your day. It's good to know. That's really good to know. Um, do, you re do you recommend that people do, uh, PP I mean, conflict of interest here aside, do you recommend people do PPC in-house or has it gotten to the point where it's not even with the DSA, it's just not worth it. No, it, it's it, it truly does depend. Um, if you and, and this is actually one of the reasons why um, I, I I loved working for WordStream. We're we were able to empower um, small to medium sized businesses to really own those tasks. It does take a little bit of time to learn, um, and you can definitely explore uh, tools to help you. Um, but Google and Facebook. And Microsoft to be fair as well, but done a lot of effort to make sure that the native platforms actually are, are far more intuitive than they used to be. The basic mechanics to remember when you're thinking about paid is who are your people and who are you going to be targeting? Um, how much are you really comfortable spending to acquire those leads? Being honest with yourself about what those leads are worth. Um, and then in terms of structure of account, do you have the time to go in and audit for negative queries, do you have the time to go in and, and really audit? Or do you need to set yourself up with more of a, not really a set it and forget it because there is no such thing, um, but with less nitty gritty manual work. Um, agencies are great, um, <laughs> in-house is great, um, but there is, there is no like white flag, I give up, never own an in-house answer. Like there, there is a path forward for everyone you just have to be honest with yourself about how much time you truly have to dedicate to management um, and if that time correlates with what you'll be held accountable for. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so I have one last serious question for you, then a funny question for you. Um, 
you mentioned before there there are instances, there's cases where people say you know um, SEO is for building authority and PPC is for getting a quick win, and it doesn't really work that way, which makes a lot of sense. But are there cases where it does make sense? I think you you did hit on this you know quickly a bit before, where it does make sense to do SEO and not PPC, or vice versa, do PPC and then forget about the SEO. So, one of the biggest reasons I hate this question, like I, gen- <laughs> I genuinely, genuinely hate this question, um, is it implies that you, you, you kind of have to choose one. Um, a healthy business, once they've gotten to a place where they're stable, will be doing both and they'll prioritize based off of the margins that they make on products um, to focus on PPC because they'll make enough money that it will make sense for them to advertise. Um, if they don't necessarily make enough money to, to justify investing in, in acquiring those leads, then they have to look more organically. But the other thing to, to consider is that a lot of folks think about PPC and SEO as just search. Um, and it, it really ignores where the future of PPC is going, where PPC is far more focused on um, video far more focused on kind of these new emerging channels uh, like Snap and TikTok on local ways, things like that, um, LinkedIn for B2B. And so we, w- we want to be mindful that it's your business has products and services. Only you in looking at your products and services will know if it's profitable to advertise or if it's profitable to focus more on content or to focus more on uh, like events and PR, like they, they, they're all going to end up working together. The big takeaway though, is that intelligence needs to be shared with everyone. So there is no good reason for paid, for the paid team to be holding on to all the low search volume queries and not sharing those. There is no good reason for the organic team to not be sharing, hey, listen, this was like the core messaging that we found really worked for us. You may want to consider a test where you leverage that as a major headline. Um, and so if there's one takeaway that people can take from this talk or, or our conversation, it's that you want to be honest with yourself about what your needs are, and you want to make sure that there's pipelines of communication between every channel, not just the, the marketing team, but also the customer success team, also the sales team, and what quality of leads are, are actually exciting for them to talk to. Who are the customers that are staying the longest and spending the most? Things like that. You lost me at there's something outside of Google. It didn't compute. Everything after this just didn't compute for me. I'm sorry. There's something outside of Google. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm being sad, sarcastic. Um, no, but it's, it's a good point. I forgot I was speaking with about this um, recently that SEOs need to start thinking about opportunities outside of search. Yeah. It, 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 particularly if you if you buy into the 50% of all searches are don't result in a click sort of thing, which I don't know if it's 50% or it, it's definitely a lot. And if that's the case, then... I don't think having your URL show up in a feature snippet is a great branding opportunity for you if there's no click. You might well, want to... Well, view, view through attribution, man. It, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how we, we, we got to go. Um, like one of the, the, the greatest crimes is that there is no cross-communication of attribution between paid and organic. Um, and the best in-house teams and the best agencies that have both paid and organic share those attribution conversations and that it you don't just rely on last click. Right, right, right. I'm just reading about that. Got you. 
Um, can you explain? Can you explain for the audience why you would not rely on last click? So last click attribution is the default um, attribution uh, for Google and, and for, for many other uh, platforms. And what last click attribution does is given your conversion window, which you will define, um, will only give credit to the last click right. before the conversion happened. The problem with that is that, as we've just been discussing, everyone has a part to play. Yes. And it's not really fair to only give credit to the last person to touch the ball before the, the, the touchdown when the whole team was, was playing a part. So if you have lots and lots of data, um, data-driven attribution is awesome and wonderful. The problem is like the thresholds for those are really, really high. So if you don't have those sorts of thresholds, um, definitely consider position-based, um, which will give 40% to the first click and last click and then share the 20% amidst all other uh, clicks. Uh, you may also want to consider time decay that will, as further away from the, the click, the less credit it gets. Um, but yeah, last click attribution is is really that not no fair sense. to any department. It makes no sense. It really makes no sense. First off, if you're, most searches, most users rather, are, are not buying. They saw your ad, they kind of click and I bought. Like in one shot. That, that like never happens unless... And maybe something like a really expensive product that you already researched prior. Okay, I'm going specifically, I'm going to click on this ad. But even still, whatever. I feel like the SEO people do a better job with that. Like we intrinsically through analytics are saying, okay, what's the user's path? What's the user's journey? I get it. It didn't happen just because of this one isolated incident. I need to point you in the direction of Miss Amy Bishop and okay. shameless plug. Uh, well, actually, this webinar will already happen. Um, we're going to be doing a webinar with her about... Um, audience mapping um, and intelligent message mapping. Uh, and she has one, some of the most brilliant perspectives um, on audience segmentation and leveraging analytics. Um, it's absolutely a myth that PPC does not use analytics. <laughs> we 100% do. Um, the, the, the unfortunate thing is that we often don't share our perspectives on analytics. Like that's, that, that is, that is true. Um, but there, there is 100% the ability to, to track back the, the page flow and drop off and um, kind of seeing that impact. I w that was not meant to disparage the, the PPC industry. Just, it's okay. okay. I'm sorry. I apologize. I take, I take oh, it you're, back. You're, you're, you're <laughs> fine. But I, I, I need to shamelessly plug Amy Bishop and her brilliance. And she's amazing. You'll send me the link to that so we can include into the blog post for the podcast. Yes. Awesome. Okay, great. So I have one last question for you. It's a funny question. Um, we okay. have a segment that we do. If you listen to the show regularly, you know what I'm talking about. It's called Optimize It or Disavow It. And it's where I give you either two really good options and you're stuck choosing between one good option over another good option. That's not comfortable. Or I give you two really bad options and you're stuck choosing one really bad option over an even worse option. And of course, that's not comfortable. So this is a Nava Hopkins version of Optimize It or Disavow It. <laughs> So for you today, um, if you could do one or the other, it's a zero-sum world. I'm trying to construct it as a zero-sum world. It never, inevitably never works, but I'll try anyway. If you had the choice of, of working to appear on the SERP in the fifth organic ranking position or as the top ad on the page, which is more worthwhile? So it depends. Ah. Um if you're running a branded campaign or a competitor campaign, I would take the first spot every day of the week. 
because in branded campaigns, not only do you want to own your SERP and control your messaging, um, you want to direct people exactly to where they can do the most good. You also, just as a shameless plug for branded campaigns, that's a way for you to make sure that you're controlling your budget and it's going where, where it's intended. For competitor campaigns, I will 100% <laughs> love to snipe people's yes. uh, customers and, and, and put myself in a, in, a, in a spot where I, hate uh, that, I, I, I can potentially uh, encourage them to consider me instead. Right. Um, but for any other paid spot, I actually prefer positions two to three. Um, and the reason for that is that the benefits of being in position one, unless you're on a mobile device, you actually get a lot of the same extensions. You actually get a lot of the same benefits. Um, and the price difference is a real boon. And you're able to get that many more clicks in your day. So I'm very rarely an ego hound. That's why I would, like, if, unless it's branded in competitor, where the point is to own the SERP, um, snipe folks, control messaging, like put, put good thoughts out there. Um, I, I would take the fifth spot organically. Wow. Um, because like, I, I, I hate paying a premium for people that like, I, I could get in position two to three and just do that. So wait, so I, I lied. I have another question. Just, just on the spot. I didn't do it on purpose. When, okay. you, when you mentioned you want you don't want to rank necessarily in the first spot the first spot in the in the page section, does it? And I always wonder about this. So let's say you have two or three ads up top, and then you have the organic mm -hmm. results. So you have a nice, you have a natural demarcation between the organic results and the ads. Like they, as much as we complain that they look similar, there is a demarcation between them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I happen to notice the last ad over the first ad because of that. Yeah. So does yeah. rank? Yeah. Okay. So do you? Do you target that last ad above the organic results? I, I don't like being positioned for always. Um, like if it's an expensive term, but I can be at the top of the page. Like the, there's this idea of absolute top. So the first position or top of page, which is that, that four pack or three pack or two pack, whatever it is. Um, my preference is to be positioned two to three. Um, however, that last ad, if, if it's, if I know my creative's good, I, I will I will take that spot. Um, the main reason that you take the first position is because you want access to every single extension, um, and you're taking full advantage of all of the extensions, and you're leveraging them intelligently. So unless you're doing that, um, and it's not a branded campaign or a competitor campaign, there's just zero. It makes zero sense. Right. Um, one funny thing to know, and I can send you a um, a screenshot of it, uh, is that. Google actually bought an ad on their surf for like Google ads. And then WordStream was like the second ad spot. And it's like, ha ha. Uh, nice. <laughs> That's funny. I thought it was, I thought it was funny. That's awesome. Okay. So that was, a, that was legitimately my, la my last question. So thank you, Nava. Okay. I really appreciate you coming on. We're out of time. So. Well, I really appreciate you having me. And I, I, I hope that I provided some, some insights into the PPC world and why we want to work together and win together and not, take all of the money because we don't we genuinely <laughs> are excited to, to work with everybody i feel more harmonious after that personally so thank you good job all right awesome thank you again appreciate it thank you bye bye and we are back to your regularly scheduled in search seo podcast she's so sweet i was yeah. yes i was complaining did you know this shocker i was complaining um that ppc google is getting a little bit complicated or it has gotten a little bit complicated. It's hard to keep up with things for a while. And I will freely admit this. I am a person. I have limitations. 
And it's hard to keep so on top of SEO and so on top of PPC at the same time. She's like, oh, if you ever need any help, let me know. I'm like, well, that's really nice of you. So she's a really nice person, mm-hmm. which is rare. You should try that out, Sapir. <laughs> okay. Noted. Noted. Um, <laughs> being the nice person that I am, I've pretty much hit on most of right. the news that you're going to have to cover this week, right? Yay. The festivity duplication. Um and the, re- the replication of the URLs back into the organic result column, main column for the right-hand side featured Nimbus, which, by the way, we checked that data. We ran 5,000 keywords that produced the Explorer panels, and each and every single one of them had the replicated URL in the main organic results column. So we have we did that for you. There's really very little news for you to, to, to do, so you're welcome. I, I wasn't thanking you, but okay. I'm thanking myself for you, since you won't do it. <laughs> Okay. Pat on the back, Morty. <laughs> patting myself on the back, literally. That's how I get myself to sleep at night. Pat, pat on the back. Pat, pat on That's the back. good to know. Yep. Okay. So anyway, with what's left of the news, Sapir, could you please hit it with the news? Do you temporarily want to hide your pages from the surf? Yes. Well, well, Google has just the tool for you. Great. Google, <laughs> shut up, Morty. <laughs> Google has a new removal tool inside Search Console that can do this and a bit more. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. That's great. It's good for you making well, changes. Long- no, it is good. Let's say you, you – I, I have a case like a great a, – my sister sells um, wigs online. It's like a side business. She's, she's still in school. She's doing this like a side thing, whatever, whatever. And she redid her. Okay. It's a Shopify site. She, you, you're laughing. Like, why don't you sell wigs online see how funny it is? <laughs> I'd buy a wig. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my hair. I look down in the shower and I start crying. Sorry. Okay, please continue. Okay, so she had to make some changes and it messed up the way she her site and whatever. And it would have been nice if she was able to pull out the to, – to hide the page for a little bit. That would have been helpful. It's very helpful. Anyway, I'm sorry to ramble on. Please keep going. I'm used to it. Okay, let's move on. Jumpshot, an analytics firm that falls under the Avast umbrella, will be closing its doors. Avast said that it would wind down Jumpshot as a bit of scandal over its selling of user data has heated it up. Yeah. Okay. So this is okay. One, this is a big deal for a bunch of reasons. It's bigger in the SEO industry than probably anywhere else. Maybe I'm speculating about that actually. Um, where to start with this? One, kudos to Jumpshot for saying, "Okay, we kind of got caught with our pants down here a little bit. Um, let's just let's just close this up." So that's good on them for for being aware like that. Um, I have a I, I have a, a pet peeve, I guess, about all of these things where you look at the, you know, the they inform you that we're collecting your data and blah 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 blah, and it's all there. It's really it is all there if you have a computer science degree. If your grandma or if you're, you know, Mike the football coach. Sorry to all football coaches. I don't think you're actually stupid. Um, Like, what do you like? What does this mean? I guess I'll click yes. Sure. Now you're dumb for clicking yes because you don't really know what it means. You should click no. And that's on the person. At the same time, all these companies should make very, very clear exactly what they're doing. Which they don't. And they're relying on the fact that. Oh, I don't know what that means. I'd click yes. So they're 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 sort of exploiting that a little bit. And I don't like that. That makes me angry. Okay. 
So it, I see both. It's okay. It's like I'm not screaming and yelling about this one. They did the right thing. I don't like these things in general. I don't think they're any worse than anybody else. The reason why there's such a big deal in the SEO industry is because that's where you know the um, the zero click search stuff comes from. Like that data. So that data we don't know anymore. What well, is going to be in a year from now? How many you know? How many searches result in zero click? Is it fifty? Is it forty? Is it a hundred? Is it a hundred and five percent? It can't be a hundred and five percent, by the way. Also, some of the tools, not Rank Ranger, some of the tools mm-hmm. use Jumpshot data for search volume information. So if you are using Rank Ranger, you have nothing to worry about. All of your data is exactly as it was before. Right. Yep. Okay. What else? That's it. That's it? Well, I really did cover the news for you today. <laughs> I'm a wonderful human being. Yeah, right. I know. I know. <laughs> When is my when is my award coming? I want a plaque. What? What? Okay. Anyway, moving on from anyway. that, um, yeah. as our time is winding down together, you know what time it is. I know what time it is. It's about eleven oh six a.m. Um, no, it it is eleven oh six a.m. Yeah. It's time for the in search. In search. <laughs> <laughs> I totally botched. I had one job. <laughs> it's time. For the SEO fun, I can't get it out. Oh my! What is it's fun for? It's fun. it's fun for the. It's time for the fun SEO send out question. Roll the music. Okay, if you listened to last week's episode, you know that I was trolling, which is a harsh word, really. I'm um, for not knowing Mr. Rogers. In fact, I have been trolling her all week long. Do you want to tell them what I did with the MP3 file, like the? the oh. That was oh my god! That Ruthless. Was that was not great. Cool. Okay, so wait, no, wait, wait. Background. Was... Background. Sapir refuses to listen to the Mr. Rogers theme song. I'm like, you gotta listen to this. This is like part of my childhood. Let me share this with you. She's like, I don't care about your childhood. Just like my parents did. Just I don't care about your childhood. Um, <laughs> and she refused. So I like I try to send her uh, a YouTube URL sneakily, sneakily. That's a bad. That's not a real word. I mean, she's like, no, I see the thumbnail there. I'm not opening it. So then tell them what I did. Tell them what I did. <laughs> so he asked uh, one of my colleagues to help him out with um, the editing of this podcast. And he sent me an audio file and asked for my opinion, you know, if, if I can hear some noises or anything out of the ordinary. So I was like, sure, you know, because... I'm a very helpful person, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a very nice person, so I agreed, yeah. And then I clicked on the audio file, and then I heard, like, like music. Right, music. Wait, and I immediately, after two seconds, (laughs) (laughs) knew that Morty basically sent him... To, to trick me. That's right. I told him, oh, send this up here. Tell her it's about editing the, the podcast and, you know, try to get her opinion. And then when she opens, it'll be Mr. Rogers' theme song. I win. I win. I win. So in honor I, of that. I haven't heard. I haven't heard it, actually. Sorry. You did, because before this podcast started, I played it for you and you had to sit through it. <laughs> anyway, don't, don't lie. In honor anyway. of Sapir not knowing anything of Mr. Rogers and refusing to be educated about Mr. Rogers. I want to know this week, if Google were your neighbor, what would it bring you to welcome you to the neighborhood? Well, if Google was my neighbor, it would know that I'm obsessed with BTS. 
and it would get me a BTS album. Yeah. Oh, that's that's good. Very nice. Yeah. BT who? Yeah. What? BT who? <laughs> I know who BTS, they. I know who the they big, are. The I biggest, know who they are. The biggest boy band on earth. I thought that was okay? the Backstreet Boys. Anyway. Shut up. No, that's BTS. If Google, if I, Google was welcoming me to the neighborhood, won't you be my yeah. neighbor? Um, it all depends on, on the kind of neighbor. Like, what kind of neighbor are we talking about? Like, Google's living in a nice house, and someone moves in next door. Is it like, you know, like rowdy, horrible, maybe, you know, not nice people? Or is it like good people? Because if it's good people, Google would bring a cherry pie. Because cherry pie is the best pie. Don't argue with me. It's the best pie. That's it. And end of the story. If, if the people next door were kind of spammy, like maybe they were selling links out of their basement, then Google would ring the doorbell and punch them in the face and say, manual action. Get it? Get it? Okay. No? <laughs> My answer is cherry pie or punch in the face, depending upon who the neighbor is. Okay. Well, that'll do it for us. Um, that'll do it for this episode of the In Search SEO Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week for an all-new episode. New episodes drop every Tuesday, so check it out. And thank you again. It's been In Search because we're all in search of something. Of something. You did it too late. Toodles. Toodles. <laughs>